How many of you have ever had to write your resume? Write a resume. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? I mean, too many times uh, in my life. <laughs> now, but even if you haven't, I think we're all old enough in here, familiar enough to know what the idea of a resume does. It, it helps to make people aware um, of your background, things you've learned, places you've been, things you've accomplished, titles that you've held, if you've been the president of, you know, the band or president of technology things, you know, it helps you to see what, you know, what you've done and says, hey, you should look at me. You should consider me for whatever position this is or for whatever uh, educational opportunity this is. Um, your background. But it also helps to helps people to know what your intentions are. I mean, usually there's some sort of mission statement on there. Some sort of, this is why I want this job. This is why you should consider me. This is what I bring to the table. Um, what I can provide that someone else doesn't, that all these other hundreds of applicants maybe don't possess. Your background, your intentions will help to predict success in a company or not. I mean, that's part of the point, right, of interviews and HR departments. Will this person fit in this role so that we can both be successful together? In a sense, um, as we look at Romans, as we begin our journey in Romans, Paul states his case to the Romans. He doesn't know many of the Romans. He did not plant the church that began in Rome. And so Paul is sort of left, as we begin to look at the introduction to his letter to the Romans, he has to state his case. And he says, you should listen to me because I bring God's gospel. You should help me help you as a community so that we're built up, so that we're encouraged together in the gospel. And he says, I desire your help as I extend the mission of the gospel to Gentiles in Spain. So these are some of the reasons why that we'll go into today in our time together as we look at the first few verses of Romans about the purpose of the letter that Paul writes to the Romans. The purpose of Paul's letter to the Romans, as we begin our journey over the next several months through Romans, I would argue the purpose of Paul's letter to the Romans is the same as his purpose and his calling in life. Paul's purpose is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ among all nations. Paul's purpose is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ among all nations. He says this twice in the letter, at the very beginning and at the very end. Chapter 1, verse 6. We're going to read all these verses, but just look at verse 6 right now, if you're there in Romans chapter 1. Verse 6 says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Did I get that right? Yeah, through whom? Through whom? Okay, I think I'm trying to do verse 5. Yeah, verse 5. Sorry, I wrote that down wrong. Through verse 5. Through whom, speaking of Jesus, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. He says it there, and he says it in chapter 16 at the end of the letter. Romans only has 16 chapters. In verses 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, 
According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So if that's Paul's purpose, the question is, but how? How exactly does Paul intend to accomplish this purpose through his letter? How does he accomplish this? Many of us have heard this before, and this is what I would say is the way that he seeks to accomplish it. By proclaiming the gospel, number one. By building each other up in community, number two. And number three, by sending each other out on mission. By proclaiming the gospel, by building each other up in community, and by sending each other out on mission. Gospel, community, mission. It just happens to be what's on our logo. So it should be easy to remember as we begin to look through this letter to the Romans, Paul's purposes, how he accomplishes his purpose in this letter to the Romans. Paul's purpose in Romans is still the same purpose for why we exist as a church. This is what I tried to remind us of all the time, why it's on our logo and why I always talk about it, because we are a people who are meant to proclaim the gospel. We are a people who are meant to build each other up in community, and we are a people who are meant to send each other out on mission. For all of the complexities that Paul's letter to the Romans contains, do not lose sight of the simplicity of Paul's aim. And so as we go through this letter, it's my hope that we're able to use this framework to help us understand what the Spirit is saying through Paul. Understanding the context of the whole will help us to better understand the difficulties of its parts. So let's start with a quick overview of Paul's purposes um, as we find in those three words, gospel, community, and mission, beginning with the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, let's read together verses 1 through 6. Romans 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Gospel is where we begin. Why should the Romans listen to Paul? As I mentioned earlier, this is one of the few instances in Paul's writings where he is writing to a people that he doesn't really know. He's writing to a group of people that he didn't help to found, to start. Paul was not integral in the formation of the church that meets in Rome. I think up to this point in his life, I'm not sure Paul had ever even been to Rome. Paul was a Roman citizen, but Paul had no particular specific hand in the creation of the church at Rome. He had plenty of uh, say-so in the start of many of the other churches that he writes to. But for the Romans, 
I think when, as he starts this letter, he has to say, here's some reason why you should listen to me. But he doesn't really go on to a list like we would expect in a resume. He doesn't say, look at all the things that I've accomplished. Look at all the things that I've done. Because the gospel is not about Paul. Paul is simply a servant of Jesus, a slave of Jesus. He is an apostle. He is a servant of the gospel. So though Paul didn't start the church in Rome, he still has a deep connection to them. The gospel is what connects them to one another. And he has a deep connection to them because he is an apostle. We, Some groups, some churches in America and in the world still call them, have their leaders called apostles. I don't think it's right. I think that was kept for some of these initial people like Paul who witnessed Christ personally, who were instructed from Christ personally, firsthand, who received the message of the gospel and then proclaimed it, and especially to places that had not ever heard it before. So these people should listen to Paul because he has a connection to them as specifically the apostle to the Gentiles. He's an apostle, and he's an apostle to the Gentiles, which many of the Romans were. And Paul's message, as he states from the start, is not his own. Paul's message isn't a message that started with him. It is from God. Verse 1 again. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of Paul. Right? That's what it says. Set apart for the gospel of God. This is God's gospel. It is from God. Set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel is from beginning to end about God. So we need to be careful not to put ourselves at the center of the gospel. When we think about the gospel, we think about God the Father. We think about Christ the Son. We think about the Holy Spirit. The obedience of faith that we are called to is so that the only wise God gets all the glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. The gospel is from God, and it began in the Old Testament, verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It began long before Paul. This connection is a deep connection because it is timeless. And especially if you do put it in the time, it was before any of them existed here in the first century AD. It was in the Old Testament. Saving faith is not new. Saving faith is not new to 21st century people. Saving faith was not new to 1st century people. Saving faith has been around. The object of our faith is simply now clearer than it was before. For Old Testament saints, it might have been blurry, fuzzy. They might not have known specifically. But really, when you boiled it down, saving faith came down to trusting God. The righteous shall live by faith, it says in verse 17 of chapter 1. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's an Old Testament quote from Habakkuk, 
which we sort of studied on our own a few weeks ago in our last book of the month, our commentary on Habakkuk. It's an Old Testament truth that still applies today. It's still applied for Paul, still applies today, 2,000 years later. Faith, strictly speaking, has not changed. And really, the object of our faith hasn't changed either. Again, it is God. For Old Testament saints, it was their faith in God. For us today, for Paul and his recipients, the church in Rome, it is still dependence on God. It's trust in God. That has been and always will be the mark of faith. We just now know it more specifically as the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is God. Our spiritual lives begin by faith, and our spiritual lives continue in faith. But that's more next week from verses 16 and 17 in chapter 1. So the gospel is from God. It began in the Old Testament, and it is about Christ. Verse 3. Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. So the first part about Christ is that we know he is a man. Even here in the beginning, the first few verses of Paul's letter to the Romans, another instance where it's made clear that Jesus was a man and he had a human lineage. And this was important because this is what the Old Testament prophesied about. There was going to be one who comes from the root of Jesse, who's David's dad. Right? So there's going to be a son of David who comes. And that's when we talk about Jesus Christ, I think that's why it's important that we use the words Jesus and Christ. Jesus helps us to know that he was given an earthly name, he was given a name that we can relate to, that we can understand, that was for us as humans. And then he's also divine, verse 4. And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Again, there's those words together. Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's divine. He is the Son of God. He is not just a man. He is a man, but he is also God. And he is Lord. We don't really make him Lord of our lives. We simply acknowledge whether or not we want him to be the Lord of our lives. We don't make Jesus anything. Jesus is Lord. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that. It's just a matter of whether you do that now of your own volition or whether you wait till your knee is forcefully bowed. The gospel is from God. It began in the Old Testament. It is about Christ. And it is given through Paul. Verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship 
to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about. This is through Paul. Paul is a messenger. Paul is one who has been set apart for a particular purpose in a particular time. The gospel is from God. It began in the Old Testament. It's about Christ, is given through Paul to all nations. Again there at the end of verse 5. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. We'll read this later on, but maybe I should just go ahead and read it again. Or read it for the first time in Romans chapter 15. You can turn there, probably just a few pages for you. In Romans 15, Paul makes this clear that this is an important aspect of what he has been called to do. I'll start in verse 14 of Romans 15. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So one thing that you can see from there explicitly is that Paul had an emphasis in his own life, in his apostleship, being the apostle to the Gentiles, was that he was called to preach this gospel to all nations. And that meant to different nations, two nations that had not yet heard of the gospel, that did not have any churches. The gospel was to be preached among all the nations. The gospel is from God. It began in the Old Testament. It is about Christ. It is given through Paul to all nations. And it's meant for calling people to belief and obedience. Again, verses 5 and 6. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. It is only possible to obey God when we first submit to him as Lord. And trust him. When we trust him fully. When we trust him fully for this life 
and the life that is to come. The gospel has a targeted response, faith, which leads to obedience. So whose gospel is this? It's God's. What is the gospel about? It's about his son, Jesus Christ. When was it made known? Well, it began in the Old Testament. Where is it going? To all nations. How is it being delivered? Through Paul and other missionaries. Paul's companions that he writes about. But Paul especially, specifically. Why is all that important? Because God is calling us to the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. The obedience that faith allows the obedience that faith allows for brings glory to God. The obedience that faith allows for brings glory to God. Obedience apart from faith is enslavement. Slavery to the principles of this world, slavery to dependence on yourself, slavery to a system of false assurances, slavery to the law, slavery to self-righteousness. We could keep reading Paul's letter, and it doesn't take long to just get to chapter 2 where Paul talks about many of these things, for the Jews especially. You think your obedience to the law is what saves you? No, it's not true. The obedient life that stems from faith is what allows for a community of believers to live together, to grow together, to build each other up in community, which is where we find ourselves in verses 7 through 15 as we move from gospel to community. Read with me verses 7 through 15. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The church at Rome was made up of Jews and Gentiles. It's widely regarded that the gospel came to Rome through Jews who were present at Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out on the early disciples, when thousands of people heard the gospel and responded in saving faith. They believed, they repented, they were added to the church, and then they went back to their homes, to the cities where they lived. And maybe some Jews simply traveled to Rome on business, and there made converts. As we read Romans, as we study Romans, don't think of the Jews versus the Gentiles being this huge civil war. They didn't hate each other just naturally there in Rome. I think for the most part, they got along. But the question was, how do you put into practice how we have been taught previously, prior to Christ, 
from the Old Testament as Jews, how then do I need to live now in New Testament times? We talked a little bit about this last week. How do the things, the commands in the Old Testament now look? How am I supposed to live now as a New Testament believer? Can I eat bacon? Can I eat shrimp? We said last week, yes, you can. All right, so there are certain things that they're just trying to work out. And it's not that they've got two groups who are constantly fighting with one another. But one of the things that I think contributed to some of this, uh, some of the issues that Paul writes about later on in Romans, speaking of Jews and Gentiles, is the fact that the Jews were actually kicked out of Rome for several years. And the beginning of Acts chapter 18, um, Prissa and Aquila were a couple who had to leave Rome at the edict of Claudius, the emperor at the time, probably in about 49 AD. And for about five years until Claudius died, Jews weren't allowed in Rome. And so if we assume that the gospel had reached Rome before then, because Prissa and Aquila were um, were believers, then what happened? Well, if the Jews were taken out of the church, then probably the Gentile number grew. They got more satisfied with how they had been living or the way in which they didn't have to take too much regard to Old Testament laws. And so for a period of time, the Jews were left out of some of the decision-making, were left out of leadership, were left out of influencing some of that church. And so whenever they got associated back in, when they were allowed back into Rome, you have to think that caused some issues. But even still, it's difficult today to fully understand 2,000 years later. Every single law in the Old Testament, how does it apply to me as a non-Jew in New Testament times? Am I supposed to abide by all the things written in the Old Testament. And as we read the New Testament, as we listen to what Jesus tells his own disciples while he's on earth still, and as we listen to what people like Paul have to say in Romans and in other letters, we gain an understanding that some things are simply God's character at work in this world and they don't change. Human sexuality and God's expectations for us have not changed from the Old Testament to the New. What we can eat has changed from the Old Testament to the New. What we have to wear has changed from the Old Testament to the New. But what about special days? What exactly should we be able to eat and not eat? These were some of the issues that were still facing the early church and the church in Rome. And these are some of the things that Paul talks about in the letter. Building each other up in community necessarily means growing together as one people under the gospel. Paul does not mean to wipe away either party's heritage. Learning to live together under the gospel and showing love to one another through differences is a hallmark of Christian community. The love shown through the obedience of faith brings God glory. 
and it witnesses to a lost world the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Politics can't bring unity. Good night. If we haven't learned that over the last few years, I don't know what will. Acceptance can't bring unity. Coercion can't bring unity. Just ask anyone or ask five different people about whether or not they've gotten a shot or whether or not they want to wear a mask. Selfishness can't bring unity. The gospel and the gospel alone brings unity. Why does Paul need to preach the gospel to Roman Christians? Do you find that strange that we read there at the end of our section in chapter 1, verse 19? So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He's writing to Roman Christians. Why does he need to preach the gospel to Roman Christians? Because the gospel is the center of true community. Gospel, the gospel, the gospel of God is what allows for community. We proclaim the gospel, we build each other up in community, and then we send each other out on mission. And so the three purposes that Paul has for writing this letter to these people that he doesn't really know is so that he can explain the gospel well, fully. That's what so many people throughout church history have loved about Romans. It is such a deep explanation of the riches of the gospel of God. It's not just a simple, God existed, he made man, man sinned, Jesus came to save man from sin, how are you going to respond? It's, it is that, but it's so much more than that. It's how then does he empower you to live? It's the freedom that you feel. It's the freedom that you experience. It's the truth that you live out when you recognize that God is the Lord, that he is the king of the universe, that Jesus Christ has been crowned king of kings and lord of lords. And living under and in submission to that fact brings peace. It brings joy. It brings happiness. It brings fulfillment in your life. And nothing else does. So Paul wants to preach the gospel to them. And I think one of the reasons he wants to preach the gospel to them is because they are at the center of the world. I mean, Rome was over Israel. They were over Jerusalem at the time. There were Roman roads that connected every part of the known Roman Empire. The gospel could be spread everywhere from Rome. I mean, they were like the epicenter of being able to go everywhere. And so he wanted them to make sure that they were secure with their understanding and their knowledge of the gospel. He wanted them to build each other up, not to constantly be at war with one another or to have these differences of opinions. Or if they did have differences of opinions that they couldn't get past, that in it they would just show love toward one another. They would be willing to overlook the offenses 
that they had been offended by. The things that people had done that said, I don't love you like I should. They said, it's okay. I forgive you. He wanted them to be a community that displayed the gospel well. And the third reason why Paul writes this, it's not just to preach the gospel. It's not just to build up this community of believers just for themselves. But he wants them to be a people who send each other out and who send other people like Paul himself to other places that don't yet know about Christ. It's one thing, and we live right now in this world, in the 21st century, where so much money that is given to the church for the purpose of missions is spent on places that are already reached with the gospel. So many people, so many resources, so much money is spent on sending missionaries and people out to places where the gospel has already been proclaimed, where there's always already a church presence there. But Paul, from the beginning of the church, and the earliest letters that we have still available to us that have been preserved, Paul is saying, I haven't come yet to you, Rome, because I already knew that you existed, that there was a church there already. And so my work among you is going to be limited. There is still a work there. You still need to display the gospel in your lives. That's why I'm preaching it to you. That's why I'm trying to do what I can to help build you up. That's why I want to encourage you in your faith. But I also want you to encourage me in mine. We can be mutually encouraged and you can support me in the work that I plan to do in places that have still yet to hear. I've been busy working in all these other areas and all these other churches. But my work there is done. I've planted churches. I've preached the gospel. I've given people an opportunity to repent, to believe, to obey the gospel. And now it's my duty, my responsibility that God has given to me as the apostle to the Gentiles to go to places where the gospel is yet to be named, where people have not heard the name of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I want you to help me. And that's some of what we read before in Romans 15. I'll read some more again from verse 22. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. He's basically saying, if God allows for it, I'm going to go to Rome, and I want you to help me, support me financially, as I need funds to be able to go to the furthest reaches of the Roman Empire so that all might have an opportunity to hear and respond to the message of the gospel. So why does Paul write this letter? To proclaim the gospel, to build up the Roman community, and to send out people from there, himself included. The dangers for us as we wind down our time together today 
the dangers for us as we begin to study a book that is so rich and is so complicated for many of us is this. A few to think about as we begin to study this book together. It's easy for us to think that our knowledge is sufficient, that I'm looking at the book of Romans or anything in God's word to gain knowledge and leave it there. It would be like reading the first 11 chapters of Romans and neglecting chapters 12 through 15. Therefore, at the beginning of chapter 12 is meant so that all the things that Paul has mentioned, some things that were new to many of the Gentile believers, some truths that were hard to bear for the Jewish believers. Therefore, all of them can present their bodies as living sacrifices. All of them can change their ways. All of them can live according to the gospel. Not just know about it, but their lives would be changed by it. So the danger for us still today is that we look to Romans simply for knowledge about God instead of growing in our relationship with him. We have to put what we learn into practice. And again, that's why I think if I had to summarize Paul's purpose, it would be to bring about the obedience of faith. Knowing your faith is great, but obeying your faith is what you're called to. That's true wisdom, putting what you learn into practice. The second thing, the second danger as we begin to look at this book Initial faith is sufficient. It's easy for many of us, and even in our evangelism, to think that all we need is that initial saving faith. All we need to do is to bring people to an initial saving faith, and we've done our work. Already in what I've said and what I've read from Paul in chapter 1 itself, says, no, he's still busy about preaching the gospel to Christians. We need to learn still. We have things that we have not understood yet. There's much to know, and there's much to live out. It's not just about bringing people to that initial saving knowledge. It's about living by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, he says at the end of chapter 14. The third danger, besides thinking that knowledge is sufficient, besides thinking that initial faith is sufficient. The third danger, the last danger that I want to mention is that it's easy for us to miss the forest for the trees. I've said this before in other books, but context is huge. Having this idea of why Paul is writing this letter, of the things that he is addressing specifically from a big picture can help us to understand the smaller things. And so don't lose sight of the forest because you're stuck on some of these individual things. As we understand the big picture of it, I think it'll help us to understand some of the the beauty of the individual trees and the flowers in the field and that sort of stuff. So don't miss the forest for the trees. And let me be honest with you. I, it's It's been difficult for me. I've 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 felt a pull towards this book since we finished Luke um, a couple months ago. 
And going through Romans scares me because it, it makes me think I have to know all the answers. And I don't know all the answers. There are many things in here that I will be learning with you, that we will be learning together. It feels like varsity level stuff when you're only in middle school is what it feels like oftentimes. When you sit down and say, I'm going to study this theologically rich book. It's like, am I ready for this? Should I, should I be ready for this? Should I already know everything in here? But, but God has preserved this for us in his word so that we might better understand him. We don't want to be baby Christians tossed about by every wind of doctrine. We don't want to be baby Christians stuck feeding on milk. We want the meat of the gospel, the riches of the depths of God's grace and mercy toward us who believe. And I pray that Romans becomes this for us over the next few months. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this letter to the Romans. These things that have been preserved for us, not just so that we can know it, but so that we can understand how to apply it to our lives. We thank you for Paul and his ministry. We thank you for the witness of the Romans in their own time. And I pray that you would help us to be a church who is faithful to you where we are and where you send us. Help us to be a church who proclaims the gospel. Help us to be a church who builds each other up in community. And help us to be a church who sends each other out on mission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.